Hello, and welcome to GSM. For those of you who are here in person and also online, today's theme is the great Irish composer, Sir Charles Villiers Stanford. And uh, with today's program, you just heard one of his six Irish folk songs. Following the death of Purcell in 1695, English music went into a long period of decline that was not reversed until the late 19th century. Of the many musicians who helped to bring about the English musical renaissance, it was Charles Stanford, Hubert Parry and Charles Grove, who were arguably the most influential. It was largely thanks to their untiring work as composers, teachers, performers, and administrators that musical standards gradually improved and a firm foundation was established for a new tradition of English music. This musical revival reached its full flowering with Elgar and continued with Vaughan Williams and a whole new generation of talented composers. As a teacher of composition, Sir Charles Stanford was without equal. A list of his many pupils at the Royal College of Music reads like a who's who of early 20th century British music. Vaughan Williams, John Ireland, Gustav Holst, Herbert Howells, Arthur Bliss, Jordan, uh, Jordan Jacob, to name only the most well-known. He was a prolific and highly regarded composer himself, with seven symphonies and five concertos to his name, as well as string quartets, operas, oratorios, and numerous other compositions. Although there has been a revival of interest in some of the symphonies and chamber music, most of these works are now largely forgotten. In the field of church music, on the other hand, Stanford's music has consistently been respected and performed. At a time when mediocrity prevailed, Stanford swept away many of the tired conventions, bringing in a freshness and vitality not heard since Purcell's day, and enriching the repertoire with a succession of fine anthems, motets, and settings of the morning and evening canticles. Together with the music of Herbert Howells, Stanford's church music continues to provide the backbone of the cathedral choir repertoire. He received many honors during his career and was knighted in 1902. His ashes were interred in Westminster Abbey next to Henry Purcell's. So it is our tradition at GSM to begin by singing a hymn together, which you will find on the inside of your sheet. It's a text by the hymn right Fred Pratt Green, set to the tune of Engelberg by Stanford. We remain seated whilst the voices stand and lead us.
Throughout Stanford's time at Trinity College, Cambridge, which lasted until his final service on Christmas Day in 1892, he wrote numerous anthems and services, many of which were sung in the weekday and Sunday services in the college. Among the best known of this time were the three motets that you're about to hear. We know that Novello were considering them for publication. Stanford wrote to the publisher, don't forget to send my Latin introits back if you don't want to publish them. I have no other scores and we use them pretty frequently. Foolishly, Novello decided not to take them on. It was not until 1905 that Boozy and Hawkes published them. So the first motet, Eustorum Anime, takes its text from the book of Wisdom. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. There shall no torment or malice touch them. The second motet, Beati Coram Vid, is in six parts with divided sopranos and basses and is a meditative in character. Effective use is made of contrasting the three upper and three lower voices. The piece is rightly regarded as one of Stanford's most exquisite unaccompanied compositions. The text is from Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And the third and final motet, Celus Ascendit Hodie, is an Ascension Tide motet scored for double choir and makes much use of dramatic interplay between the two choirs. Today, Jesus Christ, the King of glory, has ascended into the heavens. Alleluia. Listen out in particular for the final Amen, which grows ever outwards from one single note, concluding on a vibrant eight-part chord. Enjoy.
Thank you. We don't normally get applause in the middle, so that's nice. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed them. Um, so, next, The Bluebirds by Stanford, of course, with words by Mary Coleridge, who was a novelist, poet, and great guidance, uh, oh, sorry, great grandniece of the famous Coleridge. Uh, and is one of the most, uh, this is one of his most celebrated part songs. This piece is the third of eight part songs, opus 119, all settings of text by Mary Coleridge, who during her lifetime was much better known as a novelist, highly regarded by a minority, including some distinguished figures. Her poetry is fresh and direct. Stanford's admiration of her work was not shared by many of his contemporaries, though Frank Bridge and Hubert Parry are among the exceptions. Musician and writer Walter Bittner writes, in Stanford's setting, the choir's opening chords provide a cool description of the poem's setting. The lake lay blue below the hill, and over this, the soprano soloist flies in pianissimo with the single word blue. For a scarce four minutes, this bird flies by. The soprano's melody swoops gracefully, rising and falling above the choir, sometimes blending with what her peers are singing, sometimes distinctly climbing high above, blue in blue. There is no final cadence. This bird simply flies off into the distance on the fifth of a minor seventh chord, leaving the scene without resolving. And you have a special treat today in that Daisy Walford will be singing the soprano solo.
So now it is time for you to sing and you to join us in the next hymn. St. Patrick's Breastplate is an old Irish player of a prayer of protection dedicated to St. Patrick. It's found in a collection of hymns from the 11th century. The text is conventionally divided into 11 sections. These include the invocation of the Trinity, invocation of Christ's baptism, death, resurrection, ascension, and future return on the last day, the invocation of the virtues of angels, patriarchs, saints, and martyrs, the invocation of the virtues of the natural world, sun, fire, lightning, and wind, and the invocation of various aspects of God, his wisdom, his eye, his ear, and his hand. Now, you'll probably be pleased to know that we won't be singing all 11 sections today, but we do remain seated as the voices stand and lead us. Um, there is also quite a fun thing about this hymn um, in that halfway through it changes tune, which is slightly unusual for a hymn. Um, so just, uh, just be, have a watchful eye halfway through this hymn. <laughs>
I'd say that was very well done, very good. You have a nice little Christ within me sandwich in between there, so it keeps you on your toes. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us for GSM today on this lovely sunny afternoon. On your way out, there is an opportunity to donate, which helps us develop our music program here at St. Martin's. If you haven't got cash, you can find other ways to give on the back of your sheet. Please join us again next week for GSM, same time, same place. I believe it's going to be a Bach Magnificat, so it'll be super fun. And then the week after that is even more epic, and you have great sacred musicals. So please do join us. Um, you can also join us for our sister program on Sundays for Choral Classics at 3.15 p.m. So, the final piece, Oh, the Sight Entrancing, from Stanford's sixth, six Irish folk songs, which has bookended GSM today. The words were written by Thomas Moore, an Irish writer, poet, and lyricist, celebrated for his Irish melodies. Interestingly, in the hope of future advancement, Moore reluctantly sailed from London in 1803 to take up a government post in Bermuda as the registrar of the Admiralty Prize Court. Moore found life on Bermuda sufficiently dull, so after six months he appointed a deputy and left for an extended tour of North America, a prime example of good delegation skills. Following his return to England in 1804, Moore published epistles, odes, and other poems in 1806. In addition to complaints about America and Americans, including their defense of slavery, this cataloged Moore's real and imagined escapades with American women. Francis Jeffrey denounced the volume in the Edinburgh Review, calling Moore the most licentious of modern versifiers, a poet whose aim is to impose corruption upon his readers by concealing it under the mask of refinement. His other claim to fame was that he was responsible, with John Murray, for burning Lord Byron's memoirs after his death. Well, you might be pleased to know that the poem we're about to hear is a fairly tame one, Oversight Entrancing, which was set by Stanford in his six Irish folk songs. Thank you very much for joining us.
Yes, tis not her mortal. 